Here's today's reminder. If your church is going to grow, you have to equip your leaders. But how do you do this? How do you empower the leaders at your church to lead well? Join us at equiplab.com backslash church leaders. We're here to equip your ministry team to thrive. Just go to equiplab.com backslash church leaders and join us today. Hello and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day. Today we are talking about the subject of Christian nationalism, a term that has been in the news and on the minds of many after the January 6th Capitol riot. So what is Christian nationalism and how do we address it in our churches? We're going to look at the topic from a sociological, theological, and pastoral perspective. You'll likely hear information and insights you haven't heard before. You might not agree with all of it, but after listening to all four episodes of this series, you'll definitely be more informed and better equipped to help your congregation approach Christian nationalism from a Christ-centered perspective. For those of you new to the Church Leaders Podcast, our goal is to help those working in churches lead better every day. Each season of our podcast explores a topic the church is grappling with. Listen as thought leaders, theologians, and pastors offer their insights on the most pertinent discussions happening in churches today. If you enjoy the Church Leaders Podcast, please leave us a review. Your reviews and ratings help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content as well. And now, allow me to introduce our guest. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and as we continue our series on Christian nationalism, I had the opportunity to sit down with Glenn Packiam this week. Glenn is an associate senior pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and the lead pastor of New Life Downtown, one of the seven congregations of New Life Church. He has authored several books, including his latest, Worship in the World to Come. Glenn earned a doctorate in theology and ministry from Durham University in the UK and is an ordained priest with the Anglican Church of North America. Today, Glenn and I discuss the pastoral implications of Christian nationalism, including how he approached the aftermath of January 6th with his congregation. We talk about helpful ways to shepherd and disciple those whom God has entrusted to us as we embrace biblical kingdom theology over competing ideologies. Such an insightful dialogue. I'm sure you'll want to share this with your team and with your colleagues. So please now won't you join me in my conversation with Glenn Packiam. Glenn, welcome back to the Church Leaders Podcast. It's always good to chat with you, brother. Same with you, Jason. Great to be talking to you today. Awesome. Now, I, I appreciate your perspective as a pastor, um, faithfully leading a congregation week in and week out. And the past year, 2020, has been challenging, uh, to say the very least. Um, and and as we've looked at events t- Um, specifically over the first week of 2021 here in the U.S., um, kind of indicate that this year um, is going to have its challenges as well. And so I just wanted to to talk to you a little bit, Glenn, about how you as a pastor and and how the teaching team uh, at New Life is is kind of really approaching leading your congregation faithfully, uh, pointing them to Jesus, um, encouraging them, through, through a lot of chaos and a lot of different messages that are coming their way, um, a lot of, you know, information, a lot of misinformation. And, mm. and so I'd, I'd like to kind of dial in, if we can back up to um, 
to the first week of 2021 mm. Um, mm. on 1-6 when the U.S. Capitol um, riots occurred. And we saw that and, and I probably wasn't lost on you. It wasn't lost on me that, you know, we're celebrating Epiphany. Yeah, and, um, yeah. and, and here there's the riots at the Capitol. Um, so can you can you start off by just uh, chatting a little bit about when, when you saw that, when you began to process that news and began to prayerfully think about, you know, standing in front of, of the people that God's entrusted you, to, you know, entrusted to you yeah. as a pastor, how how did you approach that? Did you talk with your congregation specifically about that, or or you yeah. know what what happened there for you guys? Well, first of all, we had a, a prayer meeting, worship service planned for that Wednesday night. It's our normal first Wednesday of every month. We get together for a night of worship and prayer, so we had planned that already. And in the middle of the afternoon, our senior pastor Brady, myself, a couple of others were texting each other, saying, "Okay, we've got to change the course here tonight. We can't just start you know coming out of the gate as if nothing's happened." And so we decided that the tone that we needed to set for the night was a song of, of humility and repentance. And we, mm. we started with a song called Hear Us From Heaven, uh, written by a friend of ours, Jared Anderson, many years ago. And, and uh, you know, it, it is a church humbling itself before the Lord. But then Brady got up and talked a little bit about, they read the Beatitudes and talked about, um, you know, the church, it never engages in the world in a way that looks like the world. It's got to engage in the world in a way that looks like Jesus. So we actually followed up on that theme of four, four of us the next morning recorded a podcast on the Essential Church uh, podcast um, for our church, but also for pastors and where we talked about saying, look, you know, Epiphany, as you mentioned, Jason, you know, is, is not only the revealing of Jesus as the true king, but it's the revealing of Herod as a savage kind of king. So on the one hand, Epiphany reveals Jesus as this humble servant king, and then Herod as this murderous savage king. And so there is a sense in which we need to say that, that two ways are being exposed, uh, a way that is violence and power and lies, and, and another way that is truth and humility uh, and sacrifice. And, and Christians should always fall under a uh, follow the way of Jesus, not the way of Herod. But the third uh, way, the third opportunity we had to address it was, of course, in church on Sunday. And for me at my congregation that I lead, uh, New Life Downtown, I, uh, we were beginning a series that day on the minor prophets and, uh, you know, preaching through Hosea. And of course, Hosea is about spiritual adultery, but spiritual adultery is, a, is another way of talking about idolatry. And so there, there was a two minute stretch in the sermon where I said, I want to talk to us about some of our idols. And I referenced the events in January 6th. And I said, what was most troubling to me as a pastor um, was not just violence in general, but the appropriation of Christian symbols and Christian language. So you mm -hmm. had Jesus saves along with, you know, the banner for, you know, President Trump, and, and you had uh, a cross, and then you had a noose, which ostensibly was to hang somebody, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and I said, we cross a line when we start to believe that God has a vested interest in the material prosperity of one nation over another, and then I said, or of one party over another. You know, anytime we start to claim God on our side, we've started to make a, a dangerous conflation that is a form of idolatry. And so I said that, and then I and then I said, but look, it's always easier to to spot someone else's idols. And <laughs> I, I felt I felt the need to say that pastorally because 
sometimes when we call out certain things, it can you can make the mistake of sort of uh, imagine that you have the moral high ground. None of us have the moral high ground. We've all got our versions of idols and things like that that we're counting on for security or safety or prosperity or whatever that can't actually deliver. So I felt it was important to name it and also to say it is more than just in, in this situation. Yeah, that, that's good. And I, I think the idolatry conversation um, is probably the most... Uh, the most kind of critical conversation um, right now around the idea of, of Christian nationalism, um, which is, you know, what, what we're, what we're seeing in, in many ways. It's, it's not something that's necessarily new, but something that um, has been kind of um, magnified um, mm-hmm. here in our country. So whenever you, you, you begin to talk about idolatry and, and, and tie it to, you know, our country. Yeah. Oftentimes you get you can get a lot of pushback, and especially you know, um, for those listening in that that may not be aware, New Life is in Colorado Springs, which happens yeah. to be a very military town, multiple <laughs> multiple military bases, yeah. the Air Force Academy. I mean, yeah. and at New Life, there are many many you know um, uh, military personnel. Yeah, who yeah absolutely. Worship yeah. there, retired military, active military. Yep. So, how how do you um, navigate? you know, pushback, um, because sometimes, um, I mean, I know as a pastor, I, I would experience pushback where it's almost like, um, for people, they, they see it as kind of an affront and almost like, yeah. you know, they kind of start to, to push you aside and almost act like mm-hmm. you were an other and they, yeah. don't, you know, care about the country. So, so how do, how do you navigate that, Glenn? Well, I'm, I'm particularly sensitive to that because, yes, you're right about Colorado Springs. And for listeners who may not know, I am a first-generation immigrant from Malaysia. So mm-hmm. I always I always tread lightly. I don't feel like it's polite to come to somebody else's house and insult the wallpaper, you know. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't offer critiques about America. I don't feel like that's my place. But as a pastor, uh, it is my place to call people to spiritual fidelity, to faithfulness to God. And and the, the gentleness that's required here is in recognizing, as I, as I was alluding to, you know, we all have idols. So, so nationalism is not the only idol we have. We have different idols. And so if we can admit that, then we can start to name them. But the second thing is I, I specifically and deliberately did not say the phrase Christian nationalism in my sermon um, because I, I think sometimes when you use a label, either you put people on the back foot and they get defensive or people let themselves off the hook and they're like, well, I don't know what that phrase is, but certainly it's not me. Oh, that sounds bad. <laughs> and, you know, that sounds bad. No, that's not me at all. So, so I tried to distinguish it by saying patriotism is a good thing. It's good to love your country. And then I said, but we can go too far when we imagine that God has a vested interest in the material prosperity of one nation over another or one party over another. So I'm, I'm using, I'm, I'm giving working definitions here mm-hmm. so that people can begin to assess themselves. It's a little bit, you know, Jason, if you go to a doctor and, and, and you don't know what's going on and the doctor gives you a diagnosis, on the one hand, it's really helpful because, oh, there's a name for this thing and, and you can't treat what is not diagnosed and you can't cure what you can't name. Uh, on the other hand, you need to help people identify their own symptoms. So sometimes part of the process of diagnosing the thing is to say, do you have this? Do you think this? Do you think that? So rather than coming out and saying, you know, no doctor would say to a patient right away, you know, do you have a brain tumor? You know, instead they might say, well, tell me, do you have, are you having headaches? Are you having, mm-hmm. you know, and they might point to symptoms 
uh, that then lead to a diagnosis. And so I think that's part of the pastoral work is help them to recognize their own symptoms and then to say, goodness gracious, what if this really is symptomatic of a deeper um, sickness here? And of course, the other reason to avoid the, the phrase in a sermon is it's a label and labels can tend to lump people, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't want as a pastor, I don't want to see people as oh, there's my far right crowd or there's my far left crowd. I, I want to see this, you know, there's, you know, John and Susie and Mark. I, I want to remember that people are complex and have complex st- reasons for the beliefs that they hold. Yeah, that's good. That, that, that's excellent. And I love that analogy, um, the kind of medical analogy, because I think that that's key for us. And and oftentimes um, in, the, in the world we live right now, labeling comes so quickly. Um, you know, what I mean, in fact, people label people, you know, yeah. based on, you know, three words they might utter and suddenly you're labeled, <laughs> um, you know, it's, exactly. it's, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate. And so I think as as pastors, it's something for us to, to definitely keep in mind that we need to be cautious and careful um, how we are, are, you know, perhaps, you know, labeling people in our congregation, but also um, how are we labeling people? outside of, of yeah. our, you know, our church world, right? How are we labeling people that we hear on the news or read about in the news? And, and, mm. and how are we just kind of starting to pigeonhole people and, and not look at, um, like you said, I mean, the story of someone's life. And, and, and that's what, what Jesus came and, and, and came to us, sharing yeah. the story of his life and inviting our story, you know, and showing how our, our story meshes with his story. And, and uh, oftentimes those labels dismiss, um, you know, story. Um, dismiss, you know, who a person yeah. truly is. So I, I think that's excellent. Samuel Perry and, and Andrew Whitehead's research, and, and I know you've read the book, you wrote a blog article, mm-hmm. great, great informative blog article on it as well. And and uh, I had the opportunity to interview Sam um, for this series that we're working on right now. Yeah. Um, uh, their research shows that Christians who uh, spend more time reading scripture, um, you know, pray more often than others, they tend not to hold these uh, more Christian nationalist type views. Uh, yeah. has, has this finding, has this research informed um, how you are are preaching or your approach to addressing uh, the, these issues with yeah. your people? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I thought that was one of the more. I mean, it was a it's a pretty discouraging book, and 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 they're just presenting their you know sociological research and all that. But the the most encouraging thing about the book was actually the more you call people to pay attention uh, to the scriptures and to God and to Jesus Himself, um, the, the the less entangled they are likely to be in in, in views like Christian nationalism, and so that to me. Uh, is very encouraging because as a pastor, I would say, okay, it was affirming to me to say, Glenn, keep pointing people to Jesus. Keep uh, preaching mm-hmm. kingdom theology. Right. Keep preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom. And I say it that way because it's it's bigger than, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, hey, man, let's just preach the gospel. Let's just preach Jesus. And, we, you know, of course, we've heard this a lot in the last year or so, even with regard to the uh, how should pastors engage in, in conversations about race mm-hmm. and 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 sometimes if what we mean by the gospel is you know jesus will you know he died to forgive your sins and if you pray this prayer you can go to heaven when you die then no that's not going to radically change anyone but if, if the gospel of the kingdom is what jesus himself preached and what the gospels themselves reveal and what paul and the early christians uh, pre- uh preached and and taught 
then uh, it is encouraging that as we do that, uh, we will call people away from uh, counterfeit gospels, maybe polluted versions of Christianity uh, like Christian nationalism. Yeah, that's that's good. So talk, dig in a little more for us, Glenn, about kingdom theology and how you see um, preaching, teaching, the, the values of kingdom theology, maybe even some of the specific values, yeah. how they help um, pastors really address this topic of Christian nationalism and these, these other entanglements that people get caught up in. Well, I want to try to take some time here to, to map this out, because I think the best way to think of kingdom theology is to uh, tell it as a narrative the way the scriptures do. So the first place we start in Genesis is God makes Adam and Eve. God, God makes human beings as uh, in, in his image in order to be his vice regents, to reflect his wise and loving rule into the world. So there's the kingdom theme right there from the first page of scripture that God is the great king, is the old Jewish, you know, Hebrew prayer, Baruchatah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, King of the Universe. It's right there. Uh, they, they reiterate it almost every time, you know, one of these prayers are, are, are said. And so God, the great king of the cosmos, makes human beings in his image so that they can be icons of this king. They can reflect his rule, extend his rule. And of course, this was exactly how the, the uh, empires worked in the ancient world. They didn't have news media or anything like that. So when a king wanted to expand his territories, they would set up statues in his image that would point people back and say, this is what your king looks like. Well, human beings were built to be living reminders of what God, the great king, uh, looked like. But then, of course, we know humans fall, Adam and Eve fall. And so the failure of the human race, if you, if, you know, if the listener could imagine kind of like these Russian nesting dolls where there's a doll within the doll within the doll. So you start out with the wider picture of the human race and then you, you zero in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham one people to be his kingdom people. And, and again, Israel is called as a kingdom of priests, it says in Exodus. And Israel is called as a people who are supposed to reflect God's rule. That's where they're, they're rescued from slavery. That's where they're given commandments so they can live in this, uh, this way under the rule of, of, of Yahweh. But then they fail, and and you you know you read through the book of Judges, and you're like, man, this is coming off the rails quick, <laughs> and 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 they need a king, and so they say, okay, well, never mind one whole nation, let's just have one representative of the nation. So again, one layer in, so from a human race to one nation to now one representative of that nation, aka the king. But then of course the rest of the story of the Old Testament is how the kings fail. There's some good, some bad, but they all fail. You get to the end of it, and you're like, man, who is the faithful? kingdom bearer, kingdom bringer, and there's no answer at the end of the Old Testament. So Jesus, of course, comes in and the gospel writers do all kinds of special literary devices to help us understand that Jesus is the representative king, uh, the representative uh, uh, Messiah for Israel. And so now we're working our way back out. We, we go from one individual, the Messiah, who fulfills all of it in himself. He is the true, the ultimate kingdom bringer, kingdom bearer, uh, the representative of God's rule. If you want to know what God's rule looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God's rule looks like, listen to Jesus. That's why the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount matters so much. And then you work your way out and say, and then what did Jesus do? 
he creates a kingdom community. But this time, the kingdom community does not fall along ethnic lines or national lines. This time, the kingdom community actually brings together Jews and Gentiles. It brings down the dividing wall between male and female, slave and free. Uh, social economic status is not a divider. Gender is not a divider. Ethnicity is not a divider. Nationality is not a divider. And so you are intro we're introduced in the New Testament to the church. And this is what is lost, is when we don't recognize that the church is a kingdom community, we think the church is just a collection of individuals who are saved, who are trying to pass the time on a Sunday um, from now until when Jesus comes or from now until the time they die. And so therefore, yeah, I'm a Christian individually, but I'm also, you know, uh, a, a nationalist or I'm also, you know, hardcore into these beliefs about uh, God favoring one country over another, not recognizing that that kind of view is not sustainable by a close reading of the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, there is no, there's no room to say that God's going to privilege one um, nation state or one sort of ethnic group over another. The, the representatives of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven is a kingdom community called the church. That's, uh, that, that's excellent. Excellent um, taking us through that. And so as, as we look at that and understanding that um, our place is found in that, that community called the church, um, you know, followers of Jesus, how, how do you, as a pastor, or maybe when do, when do you um, come to a point where it's kind of necessary, or is it ever necessary, to really address um, someone in your congregation who has attached themselves to a, a you know a, a different um, a different way of viewing their identity yeah. aside from that of a you know part of the kingdom. kingdom. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it you know it, it is important, and there are times, and I do think what you said is is exactly the key is individual conversations. I think it's very difficult to to have a conversation like this in the form of a sermon because you're going to end up making sweeping statements or generalizations. Mm -hmm. And I, I what I appreciated about Perry and Whitehead's work is if toward the back of the book in the appendix they kind of tell you the six questions that they used as their definers you know, of how to map people along the scale of being a rejector of Christian nationalism, a resistor or accommodator or an ambassador. And the shorthand way for me was to say, I think in short, Christian nationalism uh, is the belief that the Christian God is responsible for America's history, central to America's identity and invested in America's destiny. And, and so in those conversations, again, using that medical metaphor of diagnosing, uh, what I'm looking for is, hey, tell me what you believe about America's founding. And if they say, well, you know, God ordained the existence of America, or maybe they say something softer, like, oh, there, you know, there's Christian principles that shaped the beginning. You say, yeah, that, that's true. And, and so what does that mean about America's identity now? Um, and then what does that mean for America's destiny or the future? Like, are we supposed to be a kind of a chosen nation of sorts? Because I'd want to challenge that view and I'd want to push against that. Mm -hmm. um, but but the flip side, and this is where I want to caution, sometimes we can, you know, maybe swing. We, we have such a, a fear or nervousness of anything that smells of Christian nationalism that we we want to erase any sort of Christian influence in society. And so I want to just maybe put a put a boundary marker on the other side of the conversation to say, 
I think there's a difference between wanting Christianity to be a moral influence in America versus wanting Christianity to be a cultural power in America. Mm-hmm. And the, the difference is, do I want leaders in our societies, in our cities, communities, states, in, you know, in the nation itself, to operate in a way that resembles Jesus? Absolutely. Right. I think that's better. I think it's better for the people when there's justice that is Jesus, a Jesus kind of justice, and when there is, you know... Um, but cultural power is, oh, I want only Christian prayers to be prayed in Congress, and I, I don't want any, you know, you know, Muslim representatives, and I don't want, you know, pe- people who are upset about the kind of quasi-universalist pagan prayer or whatever that was offered in, in, in Congress at the beginning <laughs> of the year, I often will say to them, okay, you're, you're upset about that, but I, I'm actually more interested in how they govern. Are they governing in a way that, that resembles, again, Christianity as a moral influence, versus a cultural power and it may you know this is complicated because many of the things we prize in a western civilization you know from human rights human dignity all of that stuff that comes from christian roots so i don't want to erase christianity from it i i, I do believe christianity had a role had an influence in the principles that, that shaped the beginning of america but that's not the same thing as saying that god has a vested interest in in, in america sort of uh, succeeding over others and, and things like that Right. No, that's that. I think that's well said, and you know, it's interesting because oftentimes, you know, the conversations I've bumped into, it's you know, people kind of attaching this idea of of America as the new Israel, and so then mm. then they take and start reading into Scripture things about yeah, yeah. Uh, the U.S., which didn't even exist when when Scripture you know was written, and and so and they begin attaching these things to the U.S. Uh, how how do you to re, how do you respond to those types of of um, the, of nuances that people you know drive into scripture um, in equating kind of the U.S. like every time they they read Israel and, and kind of U.S. is kind of the uh, the new savior, uh, new, yeah. right? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Jason. It is a weird. It's kind of an American Zionism, you know. And mm-hmm. but what's what's interesting is many times the same folks also have a very pro nation state of Israel view as well. So they kind of believe. Uh, de facto that God has two chosen people in, in the world, the, right. the nation state of Israel and America. And that's problematic on a number of levels. Um, I, I, I think, again, theologically, we have to say that the calling on Israel in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. So I'm not saying that the church replaced Israel. I think that's that has led us historically to some dangerous places. We know all about that mm-hmm. in Europe a hundred years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I'm saying that Jesus fulfills the calling that was on Israel in the Old Testament, and Jesus creates a new community that is Jews plus Gentiles. So so that needs to make us think differently about nation states. Now, the Book of Revelation gives us some sense that the nations will be held to account, the kings will be brought to account for how they govern but again i'm less interested in, in uh, christianity as a cultural power you know people giving lip service to it and saying oh yeah well, our official religion is christianity or our official you know uh, we we take oaths on the bible and all of that I, i'm more interested in saying but is the way you treat the poor and and the weak and the needy and the sick you know that's matthew 24 the, the separating of the sheep and the goats jesus will judge the nations based on how we treat those groups and so mm-hmm. That's what I'm looking at is how can Christian principles inspire and shape our public engagement and even policies, not so much how can our nation embrace this sort of identity as as Christian. I I think that's less important. And so anyway, those are the conversations. Those are the places I'm trying to at least get people to question their 
premises and to say, are you sure that's the goal? And are you sure America is a one-to-one parallel here with Israel in the Bible? And just to get them to rethink that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's good. It's very helpful, Glenn. Um, one, one of the other things I find interesting um, in conversations is that there's almost this defensive um, stance um, for for the church uh, in in America, and as if we don't, you know, if we don't do what we need to do, um, then you know, it's it, the church isn't going to work out. You know, what I mean, the yeah, church, yeah, and and, yeah. and, and uh, there are many levels of of concern with with that type of thing. One is. You know, God's the one who's in control of the church. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, we know how the story ends in the end, um, ultimately. So um, we can have great confidence in that. But, but you know, one of the other other layers is, and, and I was just reading yesterday um, a news article online again, and I, we've been hearing a lot about this, reading a lot about this, um, in in one of the, the largest countries, I mean, the largest country um, in, in the world mm-hmm. that has some of the, the, the harshest uh, you know, human rights and injustices and mm. harshest persecution against our brothers and sisters. China mm. also has um, the fastest, you know, growing yeah. growing church yeah. and and people committing their lives to Christ and 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 following Jesus and in, in you know sacrificial ways and just you know kind of you know you think of a kingdom you know you think of man how amazing is that and and so there's this this big. Um, juxtaposition you know between the the church in china and and what the holy spirit is doing through that and you know the, the, the revival and the amazing things stories coming out of that in the midst of incredible persecution under common yeah. rule with a ton of things not going well right yeah. uh, from a very human perspective and then we look at the u.s you know <laughs> and, and, and you know their complaints of uh, you know quote unquote persecution and i don't mean to yeah dismiss no, or don't. minimize that but you know what i'm yeah. saying like yeah. you know yeah. like um, so how, how do you hold kind of those, you know, I guess pulling, pulling back into a more macro level and saying, again, mm. like you're saying, you know, the, 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 the church, the people of God, those who follow Jesus, you know, we're much, much, much bigger than, than just those of us in the U S. So how, yeah. how do you help people kind of walk through those? Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. It is it is important to remember that God has a way of building his church, regardless of the climate or the context in which the church finds itself, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oftentimes, you're right, that the church has had its most uh, growth in holiness and its growth numerically in mission uh, under adverse and oppositional circumstances. Now, that being said, I, I'm not, I don't want I'm not encouraging people to sort of go to sleep at the wheel here and let society, you know, case sera, sera, whatever right, happens right. is fine. You know, I, I, again, I'm not advocating that. I, I do think Christians should be involved in the public square, but to what end? Is mm-hmm. the end goal for Christians in the public square to turn America into a quote-unquote Christian nation? I say no. I say the, the goal of Christians in the public square is to engage Christian principles for the public good, for the common good, you know, mm-hmm. so, and, and there are good examples of it. there are long, I mean, one, one, you know, going back to the medical thing, I mean, Jason, you and I know that, that hospitals exist because of Christians, right. you know, hundreds, hundreds of years ago, it was Christians who developed the, 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 the care for the sick. Again, in, in early centuries, Christians were the first ones caring for the sick. So, I mean, you can hardly be in a city in America and not find a hospital that's named after a Catholic figure, you know, right, a, a right. Christian figure. So, so I, I think that's an example of saying, how do we take the ministry and life of Christ 
as our model for engagement in the public square for the common good. So, so we should definitely do that. At the same time, you are absolutely right to name that that fear is a terrible motivator. Yes, and and my goodness, fear has been used to ratchet up Christians and to get us to kind of mobilize because oh my goodness, if we don't, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And, and the people of God do not take our marching orders from fear. Mm. We take our marching orders from our great Savior, you yes, know, from his yes. words to us, uh, the Great Commission. So, um, so yeah, it's very important that we do not react to the, the kind of um, voices that are trying to get Christians to respond and act out of fear. Yeah, well said, well said, brother. One one final question, and uh, this has been so fruitful, and I, I certainly appreciate uh, you know could sit around and talk for hours. But um, <laughs> one one final question, and this again, I want to kind of pull back um, from you know kind of local church level to um, a bigger picture of the evangelical church here in the U.S. Um, some some have have said or have predicted that the the evangelical church here in the U.S. could could have some sort of a schism. Over kind of this issue of Christian nationalism, where there'll be those, you know, where there's going to be a, a, a bigger division, a bigger separation. Mm. Um, what do you think of that? You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that we could be headed down that road, or man, I I really pray not, and I hope not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if it were to happen, it would be because of a complex of issues that are being bundled together. Hmm. Um, you know, everything from the conversations on sexuality um, to the conversations about, uh, you know, I think for Christian nationalism, the issues that tend to align with those voters, again, by uh, Whitehead and Perry's work are things like religious liberties, you know, abortion and stuff like that. So I, I think for Christians who say, well, I have a certain amount of moral clarity about abortion and I have a certain amount of moral clarity about, uh, you know, sexuality issues, but I don't agree with these other things. Mm-hmm. They might they might find themselves saying, well, I guess I have to associate or going back to the labeling conversation, they might be labeled and lumped into that camp, even if they don't actually subscribe to a Christian nationalist uh, sort of view. So if a split were to happen, I don't think it would be solely because of this issue. And I really pray that 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 it's not. Uh, um, one of the encouraging things, again, in their research was there is a sense in which when you look at, at, at certain generations, younger generations, 45 and younger, uh, there's less entanglement in some of these core tenets of, of, of Christian nationalism, less likely to be ambassadors, more likely to be accommodators or resistors. Mm-hmm. And maybe that gives us... Um, you know, some reason to think, let's keep going, let's keep preaching Jesus, let's keep preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and let's pray that the Holy Spirit will preserve the unity of the church. Excellent, excellent. Thank you, Glenn. Again, appreciate having the opportunity to, to chat with you, brother. Thank you for, for your insights. Thank you for the work that you're doing um, as you're leading your church as well, and speaking to the lives of, of your colleagues, brothers and sisters who are, who are leading on the front lines. Um, if people want to connect more with you, Glenn, um, you know, your work, your blog, your books, those types of things. What's the best way for them to, to connect with you? Yeah, thank you, Jason. Always a pleasure to, have, to be on and to talk with you. We're really grateful for you and the work that you're doing here at Church Leaders and at Outreach. Um, for me, glennpackiam.com, G-L-E-N-N-P-A-C-K-I-A-M, glennpackiam.com. I'm pretty active on Twitter, at gpackiam, at G-P-A-C-K-I-A-M, and on Instagram with the same handle, at gpackiam. Awesome, brother, and we'll have uh, links to that in the show notes for our listeners if you want to reach out um, to Glenn. 
uh, feel free to do that. Again, brother, I appreciate you, appreciate all that you're doing, and thank you for making the time to be with us here on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. Be sure to check out the other episodes in this series. You don't want to miss out on the full discussion. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any of our interviews. We'd appreciate it if you could take just a few moments to let us know your thoughts by leaving us a review on your preferred podcast platform or sending an email to podcast at churchleaders.com. Your positive reviews and ratings help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.